Denver's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is none other than Greatness Village Associate Coach and Tactical Tuesday co-host, Thomas Bain. Thomas is a professional poker player, poker coach, podcaster in training, and poker course creator. He's also a really amazing human being who I feel blessed to call my close friend. You might not know this, but it's entirely possible Chasing Poker Greatness would not exist today if it weren't for Terminator Thomas. A few years back, I stopped taking on private coaching students and assumed they'd all eventually drop off so that I could laser focus on being the best card player I could be. Surprisingly, year after year, Thomas just kept on paying for coaching sessions. Those coaching sessions became regular reminders of just how much fulfillment and happiness I got from guiding folks in their poker journeys. Thomas, above all else, has a poker mind like a diamond. He's been one of the biggest winners at every single stake he's ever played, live or online. There have been multiple times in our private Slack community where Thomas gives next-level feedback on a hand history or poker strategy question, and I think to myself, damn, that is absolute genius. How in the world am I supposed to be coaching this dude? Then, of course, he tried to do an intro for Tactical Tuesday, and I learned that maybe he doesn't have it all figured out just yet. In today's episode, you're going to learn Thomas's poker origin story, including how him and I originally met, why Thomas graduated with a degree in organizational psychology from an Ivy League university, but then forgot to actually use it, why the mere mention of Kevin Rabichow makes Thomas's heart flutter, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you my partner in course and content creation, Coach Thomas Bain. Thomas, good morning, my friend. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Brad. Happy to be here. Happy to be joining the team. Yeah, I'm very grateful to have you on my side as we venture down this path of creating training material, coaching, just generally making things to the best of our ability to impact the guys in Greatness Village. And I wanted to use the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast, this platform, as a way to introduce you to the listeners. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you about your story. How did you find poker? Well, I think that goes all the way back to high school, which was 2007 through 2010. Uh, I started playing poker in a buddy's garage for five bucks at a time, just casually for uh, a random experience and had a great time. And we ended up doing it almost every single week for the rest of my time in in high school. And I, I remember trying so hard to win just so that I could pay for dates with my then girlfriend at the time because I had, I had no form of income. So I'm sitting there tryharding in a, a $5 buy in home game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we can't go to see the movie 
uh, this weekend. I, I didn't win at the home game. <laughs> well, fortunately, I went, won quite a bit, but it's because everyone was horrible, not because I was amazing. <laughs> and what was it about poker that resonated with you at that point that made you want to have it be a part of your life moving forward? Well, growing up, I really liked strategy games, whether it was video games or, or chess or, or what have you, and, and poker really fit that niche really well uh, and was just super entertaining, also adding the psychological elements to the game. So you go off to college. I'm assuming after high school, you go off to college. What was your plan for college? Did poker even have a place? What was your life like then? Poker did not really have a place. I Again, it was the same sort of thing. It was just uh, playing recreational and little 5 to $20 home games. But at, at the time, my plan was to go... Uh, to school for psychology, eventually get a PhD in clinical psychology and uh, become a clinician. Uh, and I ended up going partially down that route. And then poker ended up uh, moving me away from it towards the end. <laughs> Why psychology? Why did that resonate with you? And yeah, we'll start there. I, I think it goes back to, to two particular things. The first is the strategy element in games, just psychology really, uh, really aligns with that really well. And then the second is just a, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? I, I enjoy rather than just thinking about games in like a game theory, optimal sort of, of way, thinking about them in a way of what is my opponent thinking and how can I, I abuse what they're thinking to, exploit them make force them into making large mistakes yeah but why did you go to school for psychology if if poker wasn't you know a major part of the equation i assume it was, it was more it was for like it was interesting but the the second element was was a course in high school that uh, i took and i i really enjoyed uh all of the different topics that we went into and and just found it fascinating what about it did you find fascinating so there there was one i i think let me let me give a concrete example of a of a concept that that was really intriguing uh, that I learned about in my graduate program. It's the idea of equity theory, uh, and and what that means is in simplistic terms. Let's say you have two workers in an organization, and one employee is getting paid more than the other, and the other finds out, and their perception is that they work harder than the employee who's getting paid more they're immediately going to be pissed off whether they actually are doing more work than the other person or getting more done or considering any of the other variables. And I just find that that applies to so many different aspects of life. It's, it's really amazing to me. What about that's amazing to you? Like what, what is the, God damn it, Brad, (laughs) (laughs) you've listened to the show, you know, I don't let people off the hook. Like, why did it resonate with you so much that you thought, I want to get a PhD in psychology? Like, there has to be something sure. there. I, I, I suppose so. So the, I guess the other element of psychology and specifically going into clinical psychology was the element of helping people. So growing up, my mom had uh, MS, which is a, a horrible disease where uh, the body is attacking your nerves and your motor function and brain function will decline quite a bit. And I, I remember, I think the most horrifying experience was in seventh or eighth grade. And my mom had to be put into a nursing home. Uh, and I believe she was 
late 30s at the time, and it's just not something that's easy for a, a middle school kid to deal with. What did you feel? Pain, confusion. I, I, I wanted to be able to help her, but didn't know how. I, I think I had the grandiose idea as a kid that I would become a doctor and uh, create a cure for MS, which wasn't in the cards and was completely unrealistic, but that was my thought process at the time. And what impact did that have on you throughout high school? I think that I spent a little bit more time going to visit my mom on weekends in the nursing home. I, I lived with my grandparents uh, growing up primarily because of my, my mom's issues. Uh, but Where was your dad? Uh, my dad was kind of out of the picture, but I, I maybe personality-wise, maybe I was a little bit more emotional and emotional than than others. Yeah, I can't imagine. You're you're a teenager. Your hormones are going nuts, and you're having to deal with something that most human beings don't have to deal with until a much later and more mature stage of life. And that is just going to be a struggle, no matter how you slice it or dice it. So you lived with your grandparents in high school. Uh, tell me about, you know, what happened with your mom in high school and moving on to college? Sure. So I, I remember the, the summer after I graduated high school, I got a call from my stepdad and my mom had choked on a piece of food. And this is one thing that is common with MS. Eventually, uh, you start to lose your gag reflex. And that makes you prone to getting food caught in your throat and you're unable to dislodge it. Uh, which uh, blocks flow to your to flow of oxygen to your brain, and uh, if if you're without oxygen for very long, you can be become brain dead and and ultimately die. And she was put into a medically induced coma, and was in that state for sev several days, and there was no brain function at all, and she was declared brain dead, and we ultimately had to uh, turn off all the machines. Yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that, Thomas. I know that that, again, something that I can't, I can't really imagine. Uh, I would like to, for my own sentimental reasons, I'm a soft-hearted person. Do you have any stories about your mom from happy childhood that you'd like to share, just to put it out there into the world so that, you know, that's not what everybody thinks you know, thinks is the, the end of times. I'm sure there were some good times as well. So rather than specifically a, a happy story, I, I think I should give an idea of, of how much of a terror I was in, in some ways when I was little. I remember I was either two or three years old at the time, and my, my brother was spending the night at a friend's house. And I got the, the, the lighter went under my brother's bed with newspaper and lit it. And then I went and woke up my mom and took her in there to show her thinking she'd be so proud of me because I had seen my dad light a fire in the fireplace earlier that day. And everyone freaked out and the fire department came and I, I just didn't understand at all what I had done. I remember the, the firefighters sat there and asked, went through every single lighter in the, 
in the house and asked me, did you use this one? Did you use this one? And I, I was sitting there thinking the whole time, why are you asking me this? I could just go grab it and show you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you missed the show. Come back. I'll just do it again for you. Well, tell at least tell the audience, tell the listener something good about your mom, like who, very, who she was. My mom was a very strong and loving person. Sometimes to a fault, but she was always going to be there for you to the best of her ability, which uh, with an autoimmune disorder, I can imagine that I would have been mad at the world in a way that she never was. Yeah, that, that's 100% true. And I, I think it's a, a testament to her not taking it personally and still trying to do the best that she could for the people that relied on her and that she loved it in her world. So transitioning from there, high school ends. How old were you when your mom passed? I was 18 years old. So had you graduated high school yet? Yes, it was the summer after graduating. So the summer after graduating. After, yes. Tell me about college. You know, you get into a pretty good school. I'm assuming that pretty motivated kid who excelled academically correct me if i'm wrong well kind of um in high school i think i was a above average student that didn't put in tons of effort uh but i was surrounded by a group of of people who are all smarter than me and and still certainly are far far smarter individuals than i am they were top 10% in our class. And we went to a very uh, premier high school, in my opinion. Uh, It was IB, which is International Baccalaureate. Uh, I didn't want to do any of that work. So I definitely did not take any of the IB courses. Uh, So I I did good enough to get into schools in college. And then college is where I started to work really hard and, and do really well. Um, I I went to the University of Texas at San Antonio my freshman year, uh, did very well there, uh, transferred to the University of Texas at Austin, which is the the premier uh, flagship school for the the UT UT system, did very well throughout there working in clinical research labs, uh, just in normal classes, and ultimately went on to go to grad school at Columbia where I actually switched to studying organizational psychology. And you're thriving in college, right? After this transition from high school to college, you start thriving. When does poker enter the picture for you? So again, going back to college, I played mostly little home games with people for no money at all. I did put a hundred bucks on I, I think it was carbon poker at the time, and I played it for like a week. I didn't win money. I didn't lose money, but I got bored with it, withdrew the money. I was probably about a break-even player anyways, uh, withdrew the money, and then didn't think about it until my first year in grad school, actually. Um, I had a course, and I made some poker analogy just because I enjoyed reading and, and talking about it. And another classmate came up to me after, and we started talking poker, and we basically made a prop bet on who could turn 50 bucks into $1,000 quicker online. And I managed to do it in like two or three weeks or something and one dinner or something off of them is all it was. 
Uh, and from there, poker took on more of my time than it probably should have. Why? Why, why did poker grab you and capture your attention and your focus in that way? Just the, the direct path to, to making money. Uh, I, the, my, I, I'm fascinated with the strategy, but just winning money when I had never really made any money. All of the jobs I had had prior to that I had paid less than 10 bucks an hour, uh, just like on the side while I was in school. And while I, I had a linear path to a, a decent paying job through school, it wasn't quite as appealing to me at that point in time. So you're making money for the first time in your life, uh, more than $10 an hour. Yeah, Tell not substantial about, money, just more than 10 bucks an hour. <laughs> just more than 10 bucks an hour. Tell me about the process uh, and where, when you found me. Like, how did that even come so I remember you had a posting on the two plus two coaching site and you had a graph from, I, I believe it was 500 or one KNL on, on uh, Bavada where you were just massacring the games. And it, I, I, I'll correct you. It was 400, no limit and 600, no limit. Oh, okay. Okay. 500 didn't exist back then. Okay. That's fair. I, my memory is, is faulty. That's all right. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, yeah, so, we tend to remember our own graphs better than uh, other people's. <laughs> so I, I remember reaching out and uh, at the time you were charging, I think 150 bucks an hour for, for, for a session. And we had like a five or 10 minute call to, to talk about it. And I was just thinking about how much money 150 bucks an hour was. And I remember at the end of the call, you were like, it's 150 bucks. It's not very much, but to me at the time, it, it was a lot of money, but I ended up uh, jumping into a session to give it a trial run. And after that, I was immediately hooked. And I haven't let you go since, even when you didn't want to coach. Yeah, I don't remember saying that that, that it's not that much money. Uh, I don't know why I would have said that, because I know that in my mind, I did think of $600 for four hours as a fairly significant amount of money for a lot of human beings and feeling a lot of fear internal stress and anxiety as to whether or not I could help help you gain or help all of my students gain $600 worth of value, right? Like this is, this mattered to me in a way that I still feel from back then um, because I think that that's sort of the purpose of a coach is to guide their students and create way more than the value that the students pay. I, I think you did that with me, and I, I think early on especially, maybe hopefully less so now, I was kind of an obnoxious student. You had these little uh, sheets where we could type out hands and, and our thought processes, and you would reply to them, and I, I sent you way more of those than uh, I should have, I think. Hey, you're trying to learn. You're trying to grow. Like I said, you know, when it comes to this arrangement of one-to-one -one coaching, the coach is... 100% invested in the student or a good coach, a worthy coach is. And so like, if I see myself in you and I have an opportunity to improve your poker journey for the better, like that matters, that weighs, weighs on a coach in a big way. So I'm grateful that you were obnoxious um, and sent in all of those hands. Uh, eventually, you know, due to my own poor process, Basically, I created bad a bad 
incentive program in my original poker coaching iteration where I had a Skype group that was ramming or jamming. I would wake up every morning and there would be, you know, a hundred to 200 messages in the thread, (laughs) people just going nuts back and forth. And once folks got in, I was not removing them and I didn't have any sort of mandatory weekly coaching session to stay in the group. And so what happened was guys would pay for one session, they would do it, and then they would stay in the group and ask questions for about six months. And because of that poor model that I created and brought upon myself, I got a little jaded um, after that. And I was like, you know, I don't want to spend a couple hours every single day answering questions from people who are not even buying coaching. Uh, anymore, right? Like it felt like I was being a little taken advantage of. I realized like I can make more money just playing. And that was sort of why I walked away from poker coaching. And like you said, you know, you may be the reason why chasing poker greatness even exists. Because if I had my druthers, I would have just washed my hands of the whole thing and just put my nose to the grindstone. And, you know, grinded every single day after that and kind of would have gotten away from coaching. And I think instead what happened is you became invested in my success and hopefully liked the experience and sought out to, to find a way to venture into poker coaching in a more uh, sustainable manner. Yeah. Just I'm a, I'm a poker player, right? Poker player going straight to, entrepreneurship because I believe that, oh, I got this. I can do this. I got this figured out. I know how everything works. And then, you know, getting a healthy dose of reality um, was like, okay, let me, let me retreat, collect my thoughts and my bearing and come at this from a better angle that makes more sense. But of course, man, you're, if I would not have loved you in the way that I do and thought of you as somebody that I just in a profound way want to make an impact on your poker journey, I would not have retained you over the course of these years. I would have let you go like I let everybody else go. So I think that that, you know, that's a testament to how much I think of you and, you know, how invested into your journey I was and am. Yeah, I I agree completely. Uh, you have definitely made a, a really large impact on, on my career thus far and continue to do so. I, I still send you hands periodically and and I'm not taking coaching from you right this second because I, I'm not playing a lot online and I can't play live in casinos right this moment. So <laughs> I don't have any hands to ask, but I still send the occasional one and, and hope to resume coaching with you again soon. Oh yeah, I'm sure we're going to do it. But right now we're moving on to partnering up to you know, releasing some products at chasingpokergreatness.com. You've been invaluable as far as doing all the shit. <laughs> um, I, my uh, best. There's, there's so many different avenues and they all take way longer than you would expect. So doing my best to get, get stuff out, but it takes time. Oh yeah, for sure. You're, you're kind of the bullet, right? Like I point the gun and shoot you where you need to be. And then you make the thing look great and make me look like a genius. (laughs) Um, Going, going back a little bit. So you find coaching with me, you're still in school. Tell me about your progression as a poker player. And then when 
you know, the point to where you decided to pursue poker instead of pursuing, uh, you know, professional career in psychology? That one's tricky to answer because I mostly just played online while also fulfilling my course requirements. And I remember, I guess, starting the application and interview process for uh, different companies. And I would go into the interviews, do okay. Uh, and I got some interest in getting hired, but the the pay they were offering was was very low at the time. But I mean, it made sense. I didn't have any actual work experience. So they, they didn't want to pay a whole lot. And I just kind of got a little bit jaded, I think, with the the interview and application process. It's it's really lonely when you're applying for a, a lot of jobs and and you're having to send out, I don't know, 50 applications for per interview and it's just not not exciting. And meanwhile on the side I'm sitting here playing 50, 60,000 hands a month of, of online poker and, and doing okay. And that just seemed like a appealing route to move towards. Yeah. So no unpaid internships for Thomas. We're going to play cards and we're going to make money. And you lived in New York at the time, correct? Yes. I lived in New York uh, on the Upper West Side uh, since I was going to Columbia. Uh, I was at 101st and Broadway. And I was playing on Bavada or Ignition, whatever it was called uh, at the time. And I remember, I think I came to you, I was playing 50 in L or something like that, or 100 in L. And we had some success initially, and I, I moved up to 200 in L. And I think I won something like 5K pretty quickly. Uh, you were introducing me to some aggressive concepts when I had been a little bit of a nit in the past. And those concepts were awesome, but there was also, I, I didn't quite know how to control the aggression in an effective manner yet. So I, I had some success and then I, and then I went on a downswing and I, I lost, I think 20 buy-ins at, at 200. So I, I still had a bankroll of four or five K, but it scared me. And I briefly quit poker for maybe five months, just like, I don't want to lose all the progress I've made of this $4,000. And then I, ended up coming back to you. Uh, and I was playing on the New Jersey sites because we actually moved into New Jersey just because it was cheaper and I wanted to get out of, of New York City. And I was going to deposit on the site and that they had a $50 like free bonus or something that I just loaded up. I immediately loaded up 50 and L and I didn't care because I was going to put a few K on it. And built up a role. This was around the time that Doug Polk was doing his uh, zero to 10 K challenge or hundred dollar to 10 K challenge. And I remember him taking forever and I did it in two months or something. <laughs> yeah. Much um, more incentive for you to do it than Doug. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I will say that, but I, I felt proud of that. I was like, Oh, I beat him in, in one way, even though it's not really the same. It's still pretty impressive though. $50 to 10 K in two months nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, it was kind of a cool experience uh, playing on the New Jersey sites. Uh, the player pool was small. You were able to exploit them really heavily. And with your help, my win rates went absolutely nuts. I remember at 50 and L specifically before I like just jumped up really quickly, I had a 50,000 or 50,000 hand sample where I won it like over 17 big blinds per hundred. And it was just me absolutely curb stomping everyone. 
And even at 200 now, I was winning at 10 big blinds per 100 and just absolutely massacring everyone. Uh, but it was at this time that I actually, I didn't realize it yet, but I started having uh, issues in my arms, like using the computer, and I didn't really know what was going on. And fast forward a couple years now, and what I've learned is that I also have an autoimmune disorder like my, my mom. Fortunately, I don't have MS. I have uh, some variant of ankylosing spondylitis or rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, and basically what that means is my immune system attacks my, my joints uh, and causes sub substantial damage. I've just started medication that is helping a little bit, and we'll see how I progress. But it, it's not ideal. It, it limits how much I can play online, and it did at that point in time, too. I had to move to playing live. And I remember I would drive to parks early in the morning. I would play all day and then drive, drive home late at night. And this was like an hour and a half drive each way, which gets exhausting really quickly. For sure. Had you had any experience? much experience playing live besides with your buddies in high school and college? I had probably played less than 10 hours in casinos total. And, 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 and the only live play I had done was the $5 and $10 games with buddies other than that. So not really any. I, I just jumped straight into 2-5 uh, when I, I went to, to uh, parks, it was. And fortunately, the first couple of sessions, I ran quite well. I think I won over 2,000 my first two or three times I, I went and played, which was fortunate. Yeah, it's not bad. Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence just gone, and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time. Like, how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition, that you want to create more flow in your life, and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going, right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress, and you're enjoying your experience a lot more, not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life and if you the listener right now wants to add some presence to your game visit pokerwithpresence.com join jason sue's email newsletter and then schedule a free consult with the master of presence himself one more time that's pokerwithpresence.com so because of the rheumatoid arthritis the autoimmune issue you're kind of forced to play live. You couldn't play online hardly at all, right? 
Yeah, the the extent of my online play right now is one tabling on my iPad, uh, <laughs> maybe an hour a day max, just yeah. for fun. And actually, uh, Gethin introduced me to... Uh, some... We're skipping ahead. We're skipping way ahead from from New York. You live in L.A. now. So yes, let's talk about, you know, you, you played live for the very first time. Yep. Um, you played live for the very first time. Why did you and your wife moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I believe, I'm not even sure, were y'all married? Yes, when yes, we were, married and we, we were married when we, or we lived in New York for a year together and then got married. We dated throughout uh, uh, college as well. So we've been dating for a while. Um, yeah, so we moved to LA. My wife is in consulting and had a client that is out here and want, she wanted to be local on them. And I was like, cool, this is like the Mecca for live poker too. So I can also do this. It, it's kind of a win-win. And I, I absolutely love it out here. The, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, just the, the culture, the weather, the food, the poker scene's great too, but I can't really experience that right this moment. <laughs> yeah. I would assume that with an autoimmune disorder, COVID is especially dangerous. Potentially, uh, in reality, I don't. I don't know whether we know, but I would rather be safe than sorry. I'm not. I've done well enough. I'm not in a position where I have to play currently, so I'm just waiting it out for a vaccine for the most part, um, just to pop back in there. Yeah, I mean, it's the wise move, right? I think one of the one of the fears that I don't get heard talk about often enough is the long term damage of COVID and the lack of data. We just don't know what is happening long-term in the folks that have COVID. And to minimize that, I think, does society a disservice because we may realize two years from now, even once we have a vaccine, that there are some serious, bad, long-term effects of having COVID on your body that we were unaware of um, you know, here in 2020. Yeah, I, I agree. That's definitely something scary. And as I've started to have some joint issues, uh, it it makes me realize how valuable your, your health really is and not to take any chances with it. For sure. So you can't really play cards live. You play, can't really play cards online in LA. What What did you do during the first stage of the pandemic? So I actually was coaching one student at the time uh, and, and a few more now, but one student at the time. And at that point, I had taken him from 10 and L to 100 and L, uh, and he was doing quite well at 100 and L. And he was thinking about basically going pro. And we had a long discussion, and I decided to enter into a coaching for profit agreement with him. Uh, where I, I end up coaching him 10 hours a week. It's a, a huge time sink and, and something that I normally wouldn't have agreed to, but I, I needed something to do anyways. I, I enjoyed the coaching and I was like, here's a way to make some money when I can't play. And the way I have it structured is most of the coaching is up front and then uh, I end up getting payments for a long, long while from now. So when I'm back to playing, it'll be nice to get a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks in, in the mail, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and the the residual coaching. Yeah, payment. the residual payments. So, so also, I've asked you to come on board uh, as the first Chasing Poker Greatness Associate Coach because obviously I believe in your ability. You've shown 
that you can be successful online and you're successful playing live and you're doing coaching um, on your own, on the side. And also um, kind of exploiting the fact that you can't really, <laughs> there's not much else you can do um, with your time right now during the pandemic, right? Like you have a lot of time to make some really awesome things that are going to be valuable for my students and, you know, our community as a whole. So was trying to take advantage of that um, so that it's mutually beneficial for both of us, right? Yeah, it, it definitely gave me something to do. Um, and, and one thing that was funny was we did a, a series of strategy podcasts earlier, and one of the people I had played live poker with and was friends with and had talked hands with uh, actually reached out to me after uh, re-listening to those podcasts and was like, can you coach me? Uh, this was another professional player who I had played against and that's a huge deal in poker, I think, because everyone's just talking about how bad other players are. And, and to have that much respect for my game, to, to reach out to me, to ask me for coaching was a, a super cool experience. How did he find it? Did you tell him about the episodes? Yeah, yeah. I, I shared the episodes with uh, some of the people that I'm friends with. And, and most of them, as far as I know, listen to them. And he he keeps asking whether we've done more and more. And I was like, well, there's some, some in the works, but we haven't done it yet. Yeah, they're coming, listener. And the guy that Thomas plays poker with regularly. <laughs> <laughs> the strategy episodes are coming. Me and Thomas are on it. Going back, you know, from the Hero, Hero Bluff Week that we did, this is a proper introduction to the audience, right? For the people that don't know you, an opportunity to get to know you better, especially, you know, if they... You know, if you participate in the future iterations of Bootcamp and our other projects that are coming soon, you'll be seeing a lot of Thomas's face and interacting with him a fair amount. So good to have this introduction to the audience. And um, so we've kind of caught up to the present moment, right? Right. In your poker journey. And now let's kind of get a little tactical. Let's look at some of these lightning round questions that I have. Firstly, what does your process look like for regularly improving your game? I think one thing is sharing hands and discussing them quite a bit uh, with people that I trust. I try. I have a, a close group that I will send hands to regularly, and I, I value their their feedback. And you're definitely in that group. Uh, one of the other things that I do is I quite literally fall asleep watching Run It Once Elite videos at least three nights a week. Uh, I I have loved Run It Once Elite and spent way too much time on it. <laughs> and I, I guess the, the last piece is playing with equity calculators, uh, a little bit of node locking with solvers, although that's not really my preferred method unless there's just a specific hand that I think that I can benefit a great deal from it. Yeah. Number one, talking to people you trust, getting their insights, gaining that feedback. Again, for the listener, this is a greatness bomb. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So Make a conscious and intentional decision to choose wisely those people you let in your inner circle and that you allow to give you feedback on your poker journey because they can either drag you down or they can build you up. And 
you may want to make sure that you're in a position that uh, they're going to be building you up and not dragging you down. And I, I would add on to that. Make sure that you guys aren't just sharing bad beat stories. Nobody wants to hear your bad beat stories. It just emotionally, it's a drain and it's a waste of time. I, I try to uh, basically curb that habit, especially in my students. I'm like, don't don't send me bad beat stories. I, I don't want to hear them. Uh, you won't be my student much longer if you keep sending me them. Yeah, for sure. And again, going back to the average of the five people, right? If somebody's in my inner circle, if you're one of my five and you just want to talk about your bad beats all the time and how everything is going against you and how unlucky you are in life, that's a really quick way to get replaced by somebody that is not going to do that because I hold no prisoners as it relates to these people that influence my personal poker journey, right? If, you know, if you're not pulling your weight, if you're trying to bring me down, you're going to have to find somebody else. Um, so just bear that in mind too, that the people that you want to have in your inner circle are not going to put up with getting drugged down. So uh, coming in with that in mind is especially important. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. What do you think is the most high impact action players can take to improve their game? I mean, going back to the what I, I just stated, I think talking hands with with people they're close with is beneficial. But in reality, I think that it probably is individual coaching. I I, I know it's expensive, but for all the hours you're sitting there watching poker vlogs or or what have you, trying to learn. A, a really good coach can get what you need to learn and, and teach it to you in a much shorter amount of time. And your, your time is really valuable. Uh, I wasted so much time grinding up through the stakes when in reality, I should have just gotten a job and deposited a couple grand. It, it was way too much time for too little return. And I, I think people have that with, with studying. Watching poker vlogs is not going to make you a substantially better player. Yeah, there's different costs two things you know there's the financial costs and then there's how much time are you investing not only how much time are you investing but if you spend four months to get to a point where one-to-one coaching could have gotten you there in one month how much money could you make by saving that three months right like if you look at you know there's it it, the true determiner of value is, is not cost Um, and just bear that in mind when choosing whatever direction it is for your poker career. 
what's something you feel folks who are chasing their poker dreams don't spend enough time thinking about? And what do you think they spend too much time thinking about? Well, the, the too much time thinking about is, is GTO play. I find that both online and in live games, you're able to drastically alter your strategies from a, a game theory optimal strategy and achieve a much higher win rate than, than others believe is possible. Uh, there's just really huge mistakes people are making. And, and I know you've given this analogy before. If someone's always, if you're playing rock, paper, scissors, and someone's always doing rock 100% of the time, why would you uh, split your decisions 50-50 or 33-33-33, I guess I should say? Right. Um, it seems silly. Uh, what was the first part again? What's something folks chasing their poker dreams don't spend enough time thinking about? I think probably mental game. I think that it's not something people spend much time at all on other than maybe they get inspired and buy the Jared Tendler's book, The Mental Game of Poker, skim through it, and then never do anything else. Uh, I think that's definitely an area where there's a lot of improvement available, both for your poker results and also just for your overall happiness. Yeah, for both. It's certainly a tactical upgrade and also a life upgrade. And when I say tactical upgrade, speaking of the mental game, that may be a little confusing, so I will expand expand a bit in that human beings are emotionally driven creatures. And whether you're aware of it or not, most of the decisions that you make at the poker table, you know, how many times do you hear somebody talking about a hand and they say, well, I felt, I feel, I feel like X, Y, Z. Well, that feeling, right? This is an emotion. And for the most part, these emotions that humans allow to control them, make them predictable. They make them size up in spots with purely value and size down with purely bluffs and just starting to gain awareness of like, oh, I'm choosing this CBAT sizing because of, uh, you know, because of greed or because of risk aversion or whatever, you know, the, the sort of core emotion that is driving them is making them choose. And yeah, it's just understanding that and then extrapolating from there as far as like the players that I'm playing against, they're also emotionally driven creatures, right? Like how are their emotions influencing them? Um, that allows you to gain better clarity as to villains overall strategy construction and can give you an anchor as to why you ought to be choosing one strategy over another strategy in the moment. I agree completely. This is something that since I've moved more towards live poker, I've become a little bit more in tune with because you can visually see it on, on people's faces when they get stacked, just seeing their, their thumb basically getting crushed and they open the next hand and you know they're emotionally compromised and, and maybe you drastically alter your sizing because you know they're just going to punt away a stack. And that's a lot of free money to gain just by observing your opponents. Yeah, for sure. It's not just free money to gain, but also free money to lose if you're not observing your opponents correctly. What's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? I think it's that you want to play just kind of a 
tag or or even somewhat nitty style in live low stakes poker. Uh, I started out that way. I, I took that advice and ran with it and built on my online fundamentals and, and mostly played a solid value oriented strategy in live poker. And what I what I realized is where a lot of the live one two and live two five players are currently is they're a little bit past the point of where they just want to pay you off in any situation like stack off with third pair or something or top pair no kicker they're a little bit past that now and they're at kind of a more of a weak tight skill level where you can just run them over if if you have really well calculated aggression and it's really rare for me to play in a live game now and not have the highest bpip of the regs uh and honestly even a lot of the recreationals i'm probably playing more hands than um, it's just really calculated in the way I do it. It's way more in late position. It's three betting a lot more using suited hands and just finding ways to make them fold. Yeah, it's something that I, I, I was talking with another one of my students in a private session earlier this week is sometimes, you know, the most profitable nodes that you can arrive on are on the turn or the river. So somewhat later in the decision tree and you can't really exploit on those nodes, if you're folding so frequently that you rarely get there, right? <laughs> you can only realize the value if you're arriving at those nodes in the first place. I, I agree. I think it's worth giving up some of the, the profitability of of just folding a hand that normally you shouldn't to, to arrive on those nodes. Um, I, I remember, like to give an example, and this is one of the, in my opinion, probably the other best reg in the casino, and he'll know exactly who I'm talking about when I, I mentioned the hand, but there was a spot where it was a goofy hand, it got to the river, he had capped his range, and I had uh, a bunch of trips in my range, and I just had like a complete air ball actually this time, and I just bet three times the pot because I knew he was never ever going to call, and it turns out he had actually slow played trips and folded it face up like snap folded it face up Ooh. and i was like oh wow i just folded your entire range yeah. i didn't even think you would have that at the top of your range and you still folded it so um yeah, he's a solid it's... player though i in in general he he does a lot of fundamentals really really well it's just people don't usually bluff when they bet three times the pot yeah for sure and yeah you, you know you I can remember back to my days playing in home games and I was typically the most aggressive pre-flop player. And some of the hand histories that I remember are like Mississippi straddle, the which is a straddle on the button. So button straddles to like 10 or button straddles to a quarter. And then the small blind limps and I'm making it like 60 with eight, five suited, right? Like this is a very specific hand that I remember. And looking back on that, you think, wow, how is how how was I making money by six xing it out of the big blind with everybody left to act with eight five suited? And the reality is that the opponents I was playing against, their strategy construction was so poor that they almost never would three bet. So they were just calling a lot pre and you know, get a bunch of inexperienced recreational players that are taking passive pre-flop lines against me. I promise you, I'm going to find the most profitable node to exploit your behavior. 
And that's sort of just what happened over time was like, I was always the most aggressive player. I wasn't getting three bet often enough by the opponents I was playing against. And that just allowed me to play way more hands and get deeper into the, into the decision tree so that I could realize some of the high, high equity spots. I, I think I'd want to uh, clarify what I said too. I, I, I said that you can play a lot looser in live low stakes games, but Nick Howard said something that was one of the most beneficial things I have ever heard in poker. And it was so simple player types or, or people tend to fall into one of two categories. They either fall into risk averse players or they fall into a more of a gambler degenerate type. Uh, and at live low stakes tables, the, the makeup of the atmosphere changes drastically. And if you find yourself at the tables with more of the risk averse individuals is the times that you are able to just go bananas. Right. Cause they're just too passive in general right. and, and their aggressive actions are so pure that it makes them very, very easy to play against. Well, I, I should say also that it's not just that they're just, they're passive. It's also that you're going two or three ways to the flop instead of six or seven ways to the flop, like might hap- happen at a gambling table. Sure. Uh, so you, you can't win a lot of money with nine, seven suited when you're going six ways to the flop. It's just not going to work. So moving on, if you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? And it doesn't have to be a poker book. I don't think I have a good answer for this in that I I really enjoyed reading prior to college and and college and graduate school really burnt me out on reading. And I I haven't recovered my love for reading. If, If I had to give a book, it would probably just be something like Harry Potter, just because I enjoyed it so much growing. <laughs> I would read it every single summer, the entire series, every single summer for like five or six years in a row, just something to do during the summer and, and loved it every time. But yeah, it makes me sad every single time uh, the seventh book ends that I have to leave that world. I've also read it three or four times myself. And spoiler alert, I think the first time I was probably like 27. So <laughs> it's uh, I started reading it later in life, but it is just an amazing series of books. And let me press since you haven't read a lot since high school. What about a piece of content that has influenced your poker career, whether that be an article, a video you watch on Run It Once Elite, a YouTube free video? What's one piece of poker content that you think is especially impactful for the listener? I think I'll give a shout out to Kevin Rabichow on Run It Once Elite Poker. Uh, watching his both heads up and six max videos explain his thought process was super impactful to my game. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is the best player in the Run It Once uh, group. And that even compared to Ben Solsky or Phil Galfond, and that's that's saying something. Yeah, that is a pretty strong statement there. Uh, Kevin Kevin Rabichow, also a former Chasing Poker Greatness guest, brilliant, brilliant dude who took down the Heads Up Legends uh, Run at Once Poker Challenge just a month or so ago. I, I will say that uh, watching his videos has improved my shorthanded play so much, and there's actually a ton of value, especially online, when games get short and you can help start games or, or break them uh, because a lot of the regulars just don't like playing shorthanded and you're left with recreationals and you and you get to play almost every hand versus them. It's, it's really a really good scenario. Yeah, that's a fun time. That is always a fun time. 
if you could wave a magic wand, change one thing about poker, what would it be? Time banks. I am the most impatient person with the amount of time people spend in live poker. I think I probably call clock on people more than anyone else in the room I play with. By the time you're at two minutes, I'm already struggling not to call clock. By the time you hit three, three and a half minutes, unless you're a huge loser in the game, I'm, I'm instantly calling clock. I, it's probably a fault of mine, but I, I can't, can't deal with it. I knew there was a reason why I felt you and I were kindred spirits and you came <laughs> on as an associate coach because I am exactly the same. I remember one time specifically at Commerce, I, was, I had kings and it was a spot where I, I think the pot was like 1,100 and I had about 14 or 1,500 left and I was out of position against a regular and I fought for maybe a minute and a half. And the guy, Jamie, uh, Jamie Chevelle, he's like, Brad, you, you know it's your action, right? Like, because I never take a minute and a half, right? Like, it was uh, something that he was like, you still have an action. And like, I, I just, let's get in hands guys. Let's play cards. Like there are times where there are times where you ought to think about a decision. If it's going to have a major impact on your session as a whole, like don't rush it, think through it. But beyond that, just make your decision and move on with life. Okay. So if you could wreck a billboard, Every poker player's got to drive past on their way to the card room. What would it say? Yeah, so I think I would just do a throwback to the last question and say something like, make your fucking decision. Because (laughs) if one thing irritates me in in poker, it's it's that. That and berating dealers. Please don't do that. It's, It's really disrespectful. And the dealers have to put up with way too much crap. Yeah, they're human beings just trying to do their job. Don't blame the dealer on your shitty decisions and your inability to win at poker. What's your current big goal as it relates to poker? I think currently I have uh, two goals. I think the first is to become more comfortable playing uh, 510 and 51020. And then the second is to uh, build our, our brand and, and my coaching business a little bit further, just because it's really nice to have a variety of things to do each week rather than just go, Oh, I'm going to go play X number of hours this week. I'm going to go play 40 hours this week, instead playing 25 and coaching 10, something like that. It's, it's, it provides a really nice balance to your life that is, is, can be difficult to find in poker. Yeah. And for mental game, you know, it just makes you more resilient, especially if you have a different stream of income and you're just thinking about poker and asking constantly asking yourself as a coach like how do i transfer knowledge to these people so that it's impactful at their own paradigm right like where they're at specifically in their their poker journey it's tricky it's a puzzle that fascinates me i love diving in that's you know one of the reasons why i love poker coaching so yeah i i agree i I love the balance that coaching has given me compared to you know just building my whole life around putting in my daily amount of hands and figuring out how to optimize my poker ability, right? Like I'm going to meditate. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to run. I'm going to uh, have this nighttime routine that I'm not going to allow anybody to disrupt ever, right? These are all things that I've had in place where 
my goal is to increase my output, increase the intensity in which I play my poker sessions. And, it, you know, it's, it's good. You know, variety is the spice of life, as they say. So I will agree with you. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Well, I think the the most obvious thing right now is is our, our next course that we're working on together. Uh, we basically took the what we perceived as the most impactful uh, node to your uh, overall bottom line, and that's kind of isolating versus recreational players, and then what to do on the flop. How what board textures should we see bet at what sizings? Uh, and we've been doing a lot of cool stuff with solvers and intuition and math just trying to figure out what the most profitable lines are and I, I think it's it's some really profitable uh scenarios that you're you'll be learning and I've I've learned quite a bit too. So I, I've I've I have managed to refine my strategies as well in, in building this course. Yeah, that's what happens, right? When you dive in deep in an impactful place that you haven't spent a ton of focused energy on really, you know, going deep into the granular details you're going to learn and you're going to improve as a poker player, as well as, you know, creating something that is especially impactful in Fultz's uh, poker journey. You did miss one point there, uh, solver work, intuition, and we are incorporating mass database analysis as well to fact check and back up these theoreticals that we're, uh, that we're presenting to. And, Final question, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Fortunately, on our, our website, I have a coaching page up. It's chasingpokergreatness.com slash Thomas. Uh, we're currently doing a site redesign. So if you go to the main page, it's 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 not not there. You do have to type in the URL or or come join our Greatness Village Slack group and message me there. And I'm, I'm happy to discuss coaching with you. Yeah, I'm not hiding it intentionally um <laughs> we're just like like you said we're going through a little bit of a remodeling phase um if you want to hop in the slack group as the listener you can type in bit.ly slash greatness dash village and that is your pass to enter our little community spend some time asking us questions show up for poker power hour on wednesday nights Thomas, thank you very, very much for your time and your energy. I will. I look forward to coming out with regular weekly strategic podcasts with you in the very near future. Be exciting. Thank you, Brad. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.